Welcome to another edition of Vision of Zion. I have with me my guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. It's good to see you tonight. Same. We're going to continue our series on the book of Isaiah. Today, we're going to cover Isaiah chapter 3. The date is April the, excuse me, May the 1st, 2023. We're doing these out of order, as I mentioned before, but we will put them in sequential order in another format later. I'm going to begin, we're going to go again, as we mentioned last episode, we're going to use the Dead Sea Scroll version, and I'm going to read some head notes, and then we're going to get started with each verse. So Isaiah 3 is God speaking to Isaiah about the corruption of the leaders over his children on earth. Verse 1, for behold, the Lord Yahweh of armies takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah supply and support the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the skilled craftsman, and the clever enchanter. In this verse, we can see that God deprives both promised lands of all the needed things to operate in the way they have done in the past. He does this to shake the people up, to get those who have lost their relationship with him to come back. I want to once again emphasize both promised lands, meaning old Jerusalem and new Jerusalem, and uh, how that Israel and the new promised land where the Ephraimites dwell of America is affected both. Well, this reminds me, Sean, of what happened with, I believe, this is a little bit of extrapolation, Elijah, and not an extrapolation for Nephi, but not the first Nephi. This is like the second or third Nephi in the Book of Mormon. In the chapter of, uh, I think it's Helaman. So Nephi is uh, has this, uh, he's very righteous, right? And he receives the ability by the Lord with, I call it boots on the ground. It's a very important phrase I'll keep using to uh, figure out a way to stop the bloodshed and stop the Gadiant robbers and just kind of curb the wickedness that is around him. And the Lord had had told Nephi that if he would uh, pray, the Lord trusted him. And whatever he asked for, the Lord would give him because he knew he wouldn't do anything contrary to his will. I mean, talk about trust, right? To get to yeah. that level where God says, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. So Nephi implores the Lord to uh, impose a famine on the land, to impose a, uh, no rain. And the Lord said, okay, I'm going to do it. And suddenly, within a couple of years, and I think it might have been even three and a half years. I'm not sure, Sean. i got to go back and look. It might have been a couple of years. At one point, I did count. I mean, let's face it. If we don't have things stored up, we can't last long. <laughs> without the uh, no. blessing of the Lord, blessing our crops, blessing our fields, blessing the skies with rain. So the people repented. And and then after the famine, after the rain didn't fall, <clears throat> Nephi uh, begged the Lord to remove the curse from the land. And again, the Lord honored his wish and the rains came and 
for a time, the people were righteous. So this kind of reminds me of, um, I'm just going to ask, are these kinds of things just done because the Lord from the heavens said, I'm going to stop these supplies, these bread supplies, I'm going to stop, make the water dry up and or are these things that are being prayed for by the righteous on the earth? They're actually being prayed for by the righteous on the earth. And you, uh, go ahead, Craig. You agree with me that when it comes to some of these judgments, that the Lord uh, is not going to call these things from heaven, that he wants his uh, people or his leaders or his prophets we don't have to get into details, but he's going to rely on them, boots on the ground, observing conditions generally, and and calling on the power of heaven to do these things? Exactly, because um, there really is no other way, as I see it, to humble people's hearts than to put them under tribulation and to get them to turn their hearts back. It's like, otherwise, we take things too much for granted, and it doesn't stick with us. Um, and they've shown that if in every three generations, if that third generation doesn't go through some kind of tribulation, that uh, they tend to fall away, whether it be having a business, and that third generation in that business just falls apart, or whether it's religiously or whatever, but if you don't have tribulation at least every three generations, things they start taking things for granted and everything falls apart. Yes, and we see the pride cycle in the Book of Mormon, especially as they approach the coming of the Savior. And again, these things to me are not coincidental that we have the Book of Mormon, which is hyper-focused on the hundred years before the coming of the Savior. We have First Nephi, which quickly covers, you know, from First Nephi to the Book of Alma, or maybe Book of Mosiah, we're covering like 500 years in a relatively short amount of pages. And then we start to watch these details, 125 years BC, if I remember correctly. And then we march through all those events up to the Savior's uh, first coming, and then, of course, his death and resurrection. Very uh, great deal of time is spent on those events. And I don't think it's a coincidence. No. And the other thing I want to say is that the Savior also had to come to the earth, even though, as King Benjamin called him, the Lord God omnipotent, who was and is, who reigneth from all eternity to all eternity. That's the status of Jesus Christ. And he still had to come to the earth. Why? That he might know how to succor his people. So, you know, these things are done on the earth for a purpose these priesthood keys are given from the savior on down to work out our salvation on the face of the earth and the heavens are there uh, and those who are have been called who have been cleansed sanctified and prepared are uh, the ones being called upon to um to affect this work that's that's my strong opinion and it's right there in the book of mormon well, I love the Savior saying, there's nothing that I haven't done that my Father hasn't done. And so we see a pattern of uh, Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son, of uh, going through these things and being tried. And we ourselves will work through these processes, and we try to make it easier for our sons and daughters coming up. But 
um, the truth of it is that they need to experience things themselves. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh, they all yeah. had their trials. Even though yeah. they received the blessings of Abraham passed through these lineage, this lineage, they didn't spare them the trials. Yeah. Verse, that was actually verses one through three. So let's read now Isaiah 3, verse 4. I will give boys to be their princes, and children shall rule over them. In using this word adolescence or children here, he is saying that our leaders will act immature. And it doesn't take far today to see, we look at our President Biden, and we think, gosh, there's teenagers or high schoolers that act and can speak better than he can today. And uh, the decisions that some are making, you know, could be a lot easier or better made in high school today than what we're seeing on a federal level. Uh, at the same time, we have to realize that, you know, as we look at the book of Revelations and everything, that our leaders, these are not, these are just puppets because there's seven heads that are ruling over them. And there's something more deviant over watching over them or making decisions for them to try to control things. Well, we have Joel chapter 2 talking about the wisdom of the of the youth. We have one of the most incredible moments in in history or religious history when the children spoke at the time of Jesus's appearance to the people in the land of Bountiful, right? Yeah. Uh, the words that they spoke were so marvelous that they could not be recorded. And so what we see in these early chapters of Isaiah is overviews or segments, and then he will go into more detail and extrapolate on a few verses to help us understand more in depth. And so um, just need to remember in this early part that we're just seeing overviews. Let's go on to verse 5. <clears throat> the people will be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The children excuse me, the child will behave himself proudly against the old man and the wicked against the honorable. We can see everyone is so focused today on trying to get gain for themselves, acting Christ-like to our neighbors, to those in business with us and things, has become foreign. We only do it like on Sundays. And I was just watching last week of uh, some teenagers in Florida that, uh, well, they were 18 years old, and they were beating up and filming uh, the elderly that they were supposed to be taking care of, doing terrible things to them. And we just lost all respect on all levels, and we're only centered on ourselves, and it's just a really sorry state we're in right now. We see this in the other NDEs that I've read recently, reviewing them as society breaks down following, you know, disease, famine, plague, pestilence, earthquakes, uh, that the mobs, uh, mobs of youth are going through these uh, large population centers and they're just wreaking havoc. In fact, one of the people said that more death and destruction and misery occurred at the hands of the gangs 
than by all of the other things that nature threw at it put together. Yeah. Verse six, indeed, a man shall take hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, quote, you have clothing, you be our ruler and let this ruin be under your hand, close quote. So taking from my near-death experience and the things that I saw <clears throat> when America's in financial ruin, a civil war will start. The leadership of America will hand over its control to the first beast, as I call them from Revelations 13. The seven heads are people who have, have never had an elected position, and yet they have found a way to control 10 countries. These seven heads convince our leaders that we would be better off as a one world order or as an open society. When the people of America figure this out, they rise up to take control. Congress will pick a good, well-spoken man to take the place of a fallen administration of the United States. Ultimately, this new administration doesn't have the power to ward off the attacks by the other beast with the two horns. Now, I'll, let's look into Revelations 13.2. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were the feet of a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, Lucifer, gave him power and a seat with great authority. If we compare this to Daniel 7.6, and after this, I beheld in lo another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So they, we've got different prophets writing at different times, and yet seeing basically the same thing. They're just describing things in their own words or what they're seeing to the best of their ability from their visions there. But um, this it's sad to see that, you know, we don't wake up until it's really almost too late and we don't have the power within us to overthrow this uh, first beast, which are, you know, I see President Biden as being part of this uh, first beast and uh, with the 10 heads, part of him being a part of the 10 heads. And then we have seven people over them and we see I mean, it doesn't take far to look to see that George Soros and uh, Hillary Clinton, Obama are still a great influence. The owner of Google has still got a tremendous interest in this. Klaus Schwab has got a tremendous interest, which he's pushing around leaders. And uh, Tetris over the WHO is pushing around countries, and none of them are elected officials. And they're all pushing their weight around and trying to control this narrative in developing this one world society. <clears throat> so I have a lot of comments about that. Maybe we need to spread this out over when we discuss maybe in more directly revelation chapter 13. Yeah. But what I want to clarify is 13 one of revelation talks about a beast that has the seven heads and the 10 horns, 10 crowns upon his head's the name of blasphemy. So are you saying that in verse one is the first beast? And then the second one, which you cited to is Revelation 13, two, and the beast, which I saw was likened to a leopard. Is that a, is that a second beast in the book of Revelation? Well, 
uh, Rob should go in. I need to go in here and just explain what I saw because um, we have this first beast with the seven heads and the ten horns and ten crowns, which is uh, one structure. But as this structure starts to fall, and in this verse we see we have uh, rising up and uh, you have the clothing, you be our ruler. And let this ruin be under your hand, as Isaiah is saying it there. So as this first beast begins to fall, their ideology, their financial picture of things just falls apart. They're just not built on a stable foundation. They begin to fall. And they don't bring God into it. That's the ultimate thing right there that causes them to fall. So as they begin to fall, there are a few that become mouths. They are the mouth of the lion, which is a part of this animal that is the like a bear and a leopard. And so we have, you know, let's say three or four people that have agreed with the Chinese to, you know, when the Chinese come in to be the mouth and we will, oh, we'll help you. We'll help you take over this country. We've been quietly doing things for you for years. And so then we have this formation of this next beast that comes in and it's not good. So, <laughs> None of it's good. So Revelation 13, 11 talks about another beast coming up out of the earth that he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So if I'm understanding right. you correctly, um, are we talking one beast kind of morphs into a second type of beast or a remnant of the first beast? And then later so, on in verse nine, we have the actual second beast. Yeah. So we have this falling apart of our society and everything because of how wicked we've been and how we've not included God in anything. So this first beast with, you know, starts to fall apart, but there are a few individuals that act as a mouthpiece, like the lion over America. And these few individuals, you know, incorporate into the, they go in with the other beast, you know, let's say it's China and Russia. And they said, oh, well, let us help you, you know, and you've seen these kind of wicked things happen on movies and things where you have a two-faced liar and he'll say whatever it is to maintain in power. And they come in and, oh, I'll work with you. I'll show you all the deviant stuff. But ultimately, you know, these mouthpieces get just totally wiped out. We as a people begin to see at a certain point, all the lies that have been told us. And as Joseph Smith said, the Democratic Party ceases to exist when, at a certain point when all the lies are exposed. And so we just don't have the strength to rise up again with the few of us that are righteous enough. And so we really call upon the Lord. And as we will see later on in here, that the leader over Egypt or America actually calls upon the prophet to come and pray with him. He is so deathly ill as this invading force comes in, which I believe this verse is talking about giving him the cloak or the clothing of your ruler. And uh, so we'll see more of this later in Isaiah and how he turns to the prophet and asks for a blessing, and his life is actually extended. And... Uh, because of his righteous desires and commitment to God. So talking about the lies, uh, I've been watching with great interest the campaign kickoff for presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And in his opening speech where he announced he would be running, which was uh, almost a couple hours long, 
And then later he was asked a question. So it was a similar answer. He said, uh, someone said, what's, what's your, I guess, your main theme for uh, your campaign? And he said, basically, we got to stop lying to the American people. We have to tell them the truth. And I know what he's talking about. We'll let him ex explain it from his point of view. But I remember also studying, and of course, I was alive and relatively older during the transition between uh, Richard Nixon and then Gerald Ford replaced him when he resigned. And then Jimmy Carter came along. I actually had a chance to meet Jimmy Carter when I was in Rome, Italy as a missionary. He came through there uh, and invited the missionaries from the church to come and meet him at the embassy. And we all went there and had a chance to meet him with a bunch of other people during his uh, campaign for re for election, excuse me. Anyway, his whole theme that resonated with people was, I'll never lie to you. And why was that? Well, because there were lies being told during the Watergate era. So his theme was, I'll never lie to you. And then uh, uh, Ronald Reagan had a theme, you know, are you better off now than you were before Jimmy Carter was elected? So everybody has a theme. Uh, Make America Great Again, uh, Donald Trump. Um, you can guess what Biden's theme was. We know now it's like, you know, I need to finish the job. This is his election theme. But I think that the Robert F. Kennedy theme of, you know, we need to tell American people the truth is going to resonate with a lot of people, uh, with both Republicans and Democrats, um, because there's a lot of lies that have been told the last few years and they're coming out. And I think that uh, RFK Jr. is gonna bring that to light. So I just wanted to say that, but I really wanna dig into these verses. Again, I'm not sure if this is the time or place. So just promise me we'll go back <laughs> and talk about these verses because uh, um, they're, they're very relevant, but I think I'm going to I'm going to resist the temptation to uh, launch off on these because I've been reading Revelation 12 and 13 and what these things mean for many, many years. And uh, to talk to someone who has insight about them, who has been shown in a vision, what they mean. And then I think your statements are probably very consistent with what Ken Peters said about what he saw. Am I am I right at that? At least that if I'm yeah. watching and listening to Ken Peters, I'm going to be pretty close to what you've seen as well? Yeah, I love the things that Ken Peters said. He may say them in a different way than I do just because of our backgrounds and stuff, but he's on target. Sure feels like it when I read. and I. So the only thing I want to point out right now, without getting into this, is, again, I'm going to ask for you to confirm it or if you have a different view, is that what I find very interesting is the kingdom of God is being created in revelation 12 and it's no accident and no coincidence that at the same time the kingdom of god is as the child is being born which joseph smith said in the jst translation is the kingdom of our god and his christ it's no coincidence that at the same time we've got revelation 12 which in my opinion is also the white horse which triggers the red horse um coming it's no it's no it's no uh accident that revelation 13 is 
is, and we have the dragon in Revelation 12, uh, persecuting the woman. She gets driven in the wilderness. We have the child being born. And then we have this, suddenly we have this, this kingdom here that is that Satan is trying to put together here to uh, combat or provide a counterfeit, which is what he always does, correct, to what God's plan is. Am I am I close? Yeah. Well, Revelation 12, you should include uh, the stone cut out of the mountain without hands. I mean, we'd all like to think that that was Joseph Smith and everything, and that was part of it. But this new kingdom, this final kingdom that's set up before Christ, I mean, we had the gathering of Israel with Joseph Smith and the keys there, but now we're going to be gathering the elect. It's the higher base. And so this stone has this that's cut out of the mountain, which is the kingdom of God, is going to roll forth. Whether we like it or not, there's not a thing that can stop it. And it's going to crush the wicked and it's going to save the righteous. And, um, you know, it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah thing. We're going to pull out the few righteous and save it while we wipe out the wicked. But in between this point, we're going to give a chance, as we're going to see, especially I was just working on chapter one, of a lot of opportunities for repentance. And that's what this whole thing is about, is to repent and turn our hearts back one last time. Well, with that intro, I have to get into this a little bit because I've studied Daniel chapter two verse 44, which is what you're referring to in the couple verses before it. Uh, and I've also looked at Revelation 12. And let me just say this. I agree 100% with what you just said, because <clears throat> Daniel 2.44 describes a kingdom that crushes all the kingdoms left, the ten toes with the uh, iron and the miry clay. They're unstable. And this stone is cut out. When did it get cut out? Did it happen to Joseph Smith? Yeah, it did. What's the parallel? In Revelation 12, the woman uh, conceives, and she has a child eventually after what? A lot of, um, what is the word that says? You know, she went through the travails of having a child. and But the church and kingdom may enjoy a symbiotic relationship as a child and a mother do. But the child is not the mother. And Daniel 2.44 is describing the kingdom of God that crushes political kingdoms. It's a political entity. And if you think I'm off on this, go read the Council of 50 Minutes that have been released by the church, beginning of, church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, and the views of Joseph Smith and the 12 apostles and the other 50, total of 50 people, it was going to be comprised of, I don't know if they ever got to 50, but they had a council of 50, and they were describing this democratic theocracy that they were going to try and establish if they couldn't get the U.S. government to function properly and to give minority religions like the Latter-day Saints an opportunity to be protected from the mob violence that was occurring and you read there these three this three volume set that's now been edited and beautifully done and books that are talking about it okay it is very clear in those writings that they were looking at the kingdom of god as something separate from the church which it will eventually become we use the phrase in our church the church and kingdom of god okay fine 
in a symbiotic relationship. But when the ch- when the woman gives birth to the child, the child provides uh, governmental oversight and protection to all remaining religions, because there's going to be more than one that's going to survive the millennium, because we're at a terrestrial level, which which allows freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. And as long as people living uh, within the rules of the laws of a terrestrial kingdom, they're going to have this protection. So it's a much, much bigger thing because the church is not going to replace governments. The church is uh, ecclesiastical. It is not um, secular. But the organization that is going to be set up according to the Council of 50 Minutes, which I've gone through. I own the administrative record for it. I've gone through the book. I've gone through the books that write about it. I've read the notes and the discussions that were held very privately. Why were they private? Because they were talking about leaving the boundaries of the United States. At the same time, Joseph was trying to work within the system to run for president of the United States. So this was a backup measure, and the the energy and the spirit they felt talking about the kingdom of God versus the church, which would eventually, you know, again, they can coexist, but they're not the same thing. And the Daniel 2.44 is describing the fulfillment of the seed, and I believe it began with the Declaration of Independence, which led to the Constitution, which provided freedom for the Church of Jesus Christ to survive and perhaps barely during the following decades. And now as it grows and spreads the word about, you know, true principles, both uh, religious and secular principles, um, we're going to see this child born, which is going to crush everything else, including this, because this thing in Revelation 13, this is the culmination of what Satan wants to have happen. Complete control. You can't buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. You have to deny Christ. You have to deny your faith. Or you don't get to participate. And God is going to tolerate this for only a very short period of time, relatively speaking. Now, if I have anything you disagree with, let me know. <laughs> you know, in 2021, when I... Uh was bleeding out through the artery in my lung. I'd lost more than half the blood in my body, but we had to restart my heart several times as they washed that lung out and did things. But I was taken back several times during that time. But one thing I did learn was if we combine all of the scriptures we have today and everything we know today, it amounts to a missionary pamphlet for the next level that there is so much yet to be learned and so much higher levels. I mean, we're at a level now where so many of us think, oh, we can't go any further. We're we're the highest you can go and everything. But yet I saw our scriptures and everything as a missionary pamphlet to help us step off into a higher level. It's very clear from the Council of 50 Minutes that they were exploring what the future could look like. It was extremely underdeveloped and they needed more light knowledge, but it was a starting point. And it's interesting And I don't believe it's a coincidence that within only a few weeks, like eight to 12 weeks, I'm going to guesstimate, after they started the council, 
Joseph Smith and his brother were assassinated. It was very close in time to when they began this. And of course, the church tried to continue it. They still met in secret. They still met and they reconvened it, you know, decades later. But the bottom line is that this kind of got put in a cryogenic freeze until what? Until it was time for the woman was paying to be delivered. And I think we are seeing if it if if they're getting together to set up this kingdom in Revelation 13, the kingdom of the devil, Babylon, and and the culmination of all of Satan's secret plans, and maybe not so secret anymore, you go some God's got something going on with Revelation 12. Because this is when the this is when the the dragon raises its ugly head and begins to really persecute. And we're just on the heels of that, I believe. So we always have to remember that throughout the history of the world that the Lord allows the evil to rise up and to show what they're all about and to let them declare their plans with this earth and what they'd like to do. And then when they're through finishing saying all this, then he rises up, God rises up in might and says, this is what I plan to do. You know, <laughs> but he has to let the evil show how evil they really are. And we have to, as a people, have the opportunity to choose which plan we're going to follow at whatever time is. So right now, the most important thing is, is to make a clear separation so that we can choose who we're going to follow. Thank you. Verse seven. And in that day, he will cry out saying, quote, I will not be a healer. For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. You shall not make me ruler of the people, close quote. So that's the brother responding to his brother saying, you lead us. Yeah, they've risen up. They've asked this man to rise up. And I see it in, in the vision that I've had. This wonderful man stands up willing to give his life for this country, swearing an oath to help heal this nation. He says, I don't know all the answers to heal this nation. I am also broke and ruined by this past administration and the things I've done. And I will look to God to guide us, to heal this nation as our founding fathers did. It was a very emotional scene for me as I saw this and saw him giving up everything that he had and knowing that he would die, might die in trying to help bring this nation back together, even though it was kind of late. And once again, I, we will see this in Isaiah as he is very sick and calls out for the prophet Isaiah to come and minister to him and to have prayers given. So it, it's a, it's just a teaser for what's ahead. <laughs> well, there's been people who have been warning us, right, about what's going, going to happen in the future. Um, and, it seems to be a major consensus in the past few weeks, maybe months, that we're kind of down to prayer, yeah. relying on the Lord. I think everybody's recognizing that this thing is too big for uh, us to stop it individually. Uh, too much corruption at the head to um, reverse it. And, and people are turning to God about this now, I think. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. And we don't know, it doesn't have to be big and complicated. It's really simple. We turn our hearts back to Him, and then we look for ways to treat others like Christ would and try to build a Zion like community. It's really that simple. 
and the Lord has always got simpleness. That's when you find the truth is when it's very simple. I think someone said it, and it applies here for sure. You need to think globally and act locally, right? Yeah. Think about the big picture, but it's the changes we make locally that make the difference. Or as one person said, all politics is local. Mm -hmm. um, the gospel is local. Verse 8, for Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against Yahweh to provoke the eyes of his glory. This is interesting when we look at it closely. Israel will falter, meaning almost collapse. But America, which has been so publicly, they've tried to publicly force our will upon others and quietly crush Christianity. And we will fall. I mean, that hair that Joseph Smith talked about hanging by the Constitution, in fact, Joseph Smith did prophesy many times that the United States and the Constitution would be imperiled and that the elders would have a hand in saving it. Later in Isaiah, we'll definitely see how bad it gets. This is a repeated theme that in the West, among the church members, um, there will be a rallying cry, and President Benson spoke about this. The White Horse prophecy, which is not recognized as a, as a true prophecy, didn't come through the official channels, but it talks about the Constitution hanging by a thread. The hanging by a thread concept is in a number of places and was well known, um, either as a written or an oral tradition, and uh, the priesthood is going to come to bear to support the Constitution. And uh, yeah, we have, if you want to read about America's intermeddling in the world, uh, there's a book I read called Legacy of Ashes. It's about the number of failures of the CIA abroad. Um, I know that some of it was well-intentioned, I assume, trying to uh, promote democracy across the globe by picking and choosing who should lead countries and having an, an influence uh, directly or indirectly and a number of failures. But it seems like like you're pointing out here, here we're talking about um, going against God. It isn't to promote liberty. It's something else that it's become. It's very, very tragic. All right, verse 9. The look of their faces testify against them. They parade their sin like Sodom, and they don't hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought disaster upon themselves. It's hmm. really hard for us at this point to imagine, but these words are plain. And, you know, as they stand before us on TV and stuff, their faces will betray them that they are truly wicked people. And there's a point where they can't hide the things they've done. And they finally just openly admit, yeah, sure, I've done it, but there is no God to punish us, so why worry? I mean, I can go out and, and defile little children and uh, defile women and these things, and who's going to stop me? God's not here. And uh, that's when you go, oh, my goodness, you better, better watch out. <laughs> the people of Sodom also acted as if God didn't exist. They were bold in proclaiming their sins. We ask ourselves, why would God let this happen? It's because we have become complacent in not standing for righteousness. 
God is giving the people an opportunity to stand with him and denounce wickedness on their own without prompting them to do so, to see where we will stand. Woe, being great sorrow unto their souls, as they have brought the second death upon themselves, the death of their spirits. You know, um, uh, Heber C. Kimball was a counselor in the in the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to Brigham Young, and Brigham Young called him his prophet because he had the gift of prophecy. And he said, a test, a test, a test is coming. And this is it right here. Or as the song says, who's on the Lord's side who? Now is the time to show. And it's going to, it's getting there. It's As one person said last week, it's happening right now. I think it is happening right now. What do you think, Sean? It's already begun. Oh, yeah. It's already begun. We can, we'll see it unfolding more and more rapidly around us in the next days and months. You know, it says that the sins are going to be shouted from the rooftops. Um, the internet has, and the the rapid availability of the information age has allowed us to listen to what people said a week, a month, two, three years ago, and then replay it. And there it is for all to see. I was listening to someone playing back uh, the president of the teacher's TFA. Uh, I think was the name of the, the Agrium Teachers Federal Association where uh, they were calling for uh, lockdowns and kids not going to school. And now they're saying they never said that. And But they, they play the recordings right there. And do they care? That's a good question. If you only tune into the people who don't play those clips, then you don't see the lies. You have to be um, intentionally blind to not find it because it's out there. And so this technology has allowed us to quickly compare what, what you know, for example, President Biden said a few years ago and what he says today or any other person who's in the political arena or elsewhere. You play it once. I mean, there's there's I could use a number I'm not trying to be political here, but you could take you could take uh, any leader and listen to what they said before and compare and say, man, this is hypocritical. There's a lie going on, lies going on. It, we're, 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 our, our political system is um, it's saturated with this. You know, though, I want to put a plug in here for repentance because you know, Carol and I wrote that book, True Connection, and we went through the highs and lows of our life. And we've had friends say, as I've said before, aren't you afraid of them shouting your sins from the rooftops? And we laugh and say, no, because we already did that in our book. <laughs> but, you know, now it doesn't bother me to say that we went through great tribulation or trial and that I fought uh, being righteous at times because and I, I don't care if I'm confronted with it because I know I've healed and I feel solid in my repentance with our Heavenly Father. And I know that love and I want to proclaim how much he can love each and every one of us, even though we've sinned or whatever. So, yeah, it doesn't bother me that my sins are shouted from the rooftop because now I've healed. That's beautiful. Verse 10, tell the righteous good or they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Go and tell the righteous not to worry, 
They will rejoice as they get back to the basics of living and rejoice in serving others. And that's just kind of what I was, I guess, trying to allude to here is that sure were. <laughs> we we need to rejoice when we can hear God's voice and to trust that he's going to take care of us because he really will. I testify to that. So now here's the opposite. Woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them for the deeds of his hand will be paid back to him. Great sorrow comes to the wicked as calamity overtakes them. All the evil things that they have done to others will come back to plague them. There is no need for the righteous children of Israel to hear who hear God's voice to worry anymore. As they hear God's servant, they gather to places of safety away from the destruction of the wicked. And I I don't know how many of you were able to see must have been back in the 90s, the movie called The Flatliners. And in that, a group of students that were trying to become doctors would inject themselves and try to die and cross to the other side and see what it was really like. And uh, <laughs> it's so interesting that all of them had to go back and experience what they had done to others through their own eyes and how that was really a type of hell. And so this reversal of circumstances upon the wicked to, as I say, twist your arm until you say uncle by Heavenly Father. He just keeps twisting your arm, twisting your arm, hoping that you're going to turn and pray to him and say, I'm so sorry, I'd like to use the atonement at this point, is just a tried to principle here. At your recommendation, I watched that a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty disturbing. And I've read other NDEs. Uh, um, you know, there's a, there are all these book books out that uh, started with uh, Betty Eadie. Uh, I went and heard her speak in the early '90s. It was called "Embraced by the Light." But another guy, uh, Daniel Brinkley, I think his name was. I'm just pulling that out of my out of the air. He wrote a book called "Saved by the Light," and he had. Um, been a soldier in Vietnam and had done some deeds and he had to relive those things. Like when he killed somebody, um, he had a chance to see the repercussions, what happened. He killed a man. Uh, the wife didn't have a husband. She's widowed. There's mourning, there's crying, there's financial struggles. He went through the whole thing of what his one act did as a result and watched the domino effect on each person he negatively affected. So when he came back to life, he began to try and do good works and then died again and had a chance to see all the good that he was doing. So uh, it was a, it's a really interesting um, study of a person who learned and then, as you would say, repented and tried to make up for all of that. Just have a little background on when I saw Flatliners. Um, I was with the University of Utah. I was studying commercial rec management, and we had done a winter camp out, and we were up around Mirror Lake and had walked into a lake, and we had voted against what probably would be policy of the University of Utah. At least we seemed to think it was against policy. We decided if we had a 100% unanimous vote, we would hike out in snowshoes in the dark with flashlights and go watch this new movie that just came up. None of us had any idea what it was going to be about. And um, these are all young college students living the life, drinking, 
not doing so many good things. And on the way out and all the way driving back to the spot where we had to hike and go back into our tents with flashlights and snowshoes, not a word was spoken. I mean, it was just quiet whispers. Everybody was pondering so deeply their life and how it affected them. And you could see a dramatic difference the next day and how they helped each other, how they helped each other pick up their tents, how they did things. It was just a, such a change come about them from watching this movie. And I think the setting of this winter camp out with snowshoeing and treacherous things helped set the mood. <laughs> well, just to confirm, his name was Daniel Brinkley. Uh, and uh, it's called Saved by the Light, the true story of a man who died twice and the profound revelations he received. So uh, really great book. Uh, someone who tasted hell. Okay, A lot of the books are, it was all rosy. His is not rosy. The first time mm -hmm. was really, really bad. And that's worth uh, your consideration. Verse 12, <clears throat> as for my people, children are his oppressors. And women rule over them. My people, those who lead you to cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. God is saying immature people with minds like children are oppressing God's children. There will be wicked women that rule over them. I'll stop here for a second because many cannot comprehend women becoming wicked. A woman oftentimes is more righteous than a man, but when she falls, she can become more wicked than a man. Um, just we'll use Hillary Clinton as an example. Uh, and we ought to keep an eye on Hillary Clinton. But, she, you know, when you deny, as a woman, some things that are special gifts given to you, you become the black widow, and you have no remorse or no thing about killing somebody or doing things that become very, very wicked. And, uh, Lilith is another one in the Bible and stuff that is a bad, bad woman that is more conniving and everything than Lucifer. <laughs> so God is saying, those who lead you will cause you to err, and they will destroy your dreams and your goals. There are two women that you didn't mention that I I will point out to for study. Uh one of them was in the Book of Ether, right? When she, and, and another one, I guess there's three. Uh, that's one in the Book of Ether who helped her father to regain the kingship. There's Jezebel, Jezebel versus Elijah. And of course she had another, she had a man helping her. And then of course there's the woman who uh, the woman who was committing adultery with the king that John called out and then her daughter danced for the king and he promised her uh, anything she wanted basically up to so much and then she wanted the head of John the Baptist. So yeah, that's uh, it happens. And like, thank goodness it's the majority, it's the minority of situations because that they have very powerful abilities when it's used for the wrong. So, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, verse 13, Yahweh stands up to contend and stands to judge the peoples. Were you 
Let's I'm see, sorry. Turn That's verse 13. Okay. Uh, uh, Jehovah of armies will rise up and contend with the wicked and judge the nations of the world. So, you know, we oftentimes think that we need to rise up and do that. We will be tried at some time and have to rise up ourselves. But at this point in time, we need to let the Yahweh of armies or Jehovah of armies rise up and do God's work himself and let us do the work of treating each other Christ-like. Verse 14, Jehovah will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and their elders. Quote, it is you who have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. And this is pretty straightforward to me here. Yahweh of armies will bring judgment to church leaders on the local levels and to those who sit among above them among all religions he will say to them it is you who have caused my vineyard my people to falter you have sought glory and riches for yourself and have prospered and deprived the needy and it, i know this is hard to take and things but it, it it's true that they, we can see it out there I uh, watched recently a church where a homeless man was out in front of the church um, asking for things. He was a veteran, and uh, they joined together as church leaders of this church, called the police to have him cast off because they didn't want anybody asking for donations outside their church. And I thought, this is not Christ-like. <laughs> you know, there are lots of televangelists that have been caught in the snare, preaching that God wants us to be rich. And I mean, I, I've watched, we've watched several of them fall, not in the last, you know, recent memory, but there were a whole bunch of them that were, um, you know, went to jail, were, were uh, convicted of crimes. Um, and it was all these massive empires they had built uh, unrighteously. Uh, watched one guy, he was demanding people send him money you know, or they'd go to hell, basically. It's really sh shocking to see uh, what they were, what say to people once they had their control, had control over their hearts and minds. Verse 15, what do you mean that you crush my people and grind the face of the poor, says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of armies? The Lord responds to these religious leaders of whom he is speaking to as he reads their thoughts, what do you mean that you crush my people and grind the face of the poor? This is uh, interesting because the leaders are like, what did we do? How did we contribute to this? We're just teaching the Bible and everything, but they weren't looking out for the poor. Well, I think we see that in the directly in Jesus's ministry, right? Yeah. Verse 16, moreover, Yahweh said, because the daughters of Zion are arrogant and walk with outstretched necks and flirting eyes, walking to trip as they go, jingling ornaments on their feet. Therefore, Yahweh brings sores on the crown of the head of the women of Zion, and the Lord will make their scalps bald. I think in here we need to recognize daughters and Zion 
So obviously we're talking about religious group, and oftentimes when he says daughters or women, it is relating to the follow religious followers who think they are heading up Zion and think they are. So he's well, here the Lord is responding to the religious leaders. He tells them, you have raised up a people who flaunt their riches and status over other people. God is still speaking to the religious leaders of the world, these people, men and women, who have overlooked the poor and sought gain for themselves, now will become poor. They will lose their hair and their clothes. That's a sign of losing one's identity. When you lose, your scalps become bald and you lose your clothes. It's a loss of identity. You know, this this brings to memory um, some images I saw, film I saw from post-World War II when uh, the Germans were defeated and many of the women who were consorting with the enemy uh, the people in these towns knew who they were. They they took them out and they shaved their heads. It was uh, an act of shame, right? Uh, because them down of, to their underwear and made them parade through the streets in France and Germany and Netherlands. Verse, verses 18 through 24. In that day, the Lord, this is kind of a continuation, I think, in that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, the headbands, the crescent necklaces, the earrings, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the ankle chains, the sashes, the perfume containers, the charms, the signet rings, the nose rings, the fine robes, the capes, the cloaks, the purses, the hand mirrors, the fine twin, the fine linen garments, the tiaras, and the shawls. It shall happen that instead of sweet spices there shall be rottenness instead of a belt a rope instead of well-set hair baldness instead of a robe a wearing of sackcloth and shame instead of beauty seeing a complete reversal of circumstances unto becoming like the poor that they so persecuted this verse goes on to describe the great plight that comes upon those that sought gain over helping the poor and needy and in our church, I hate to say it, but President Nelson asked us to minister in a new way to better help those around us in April of 2018. Since then, our ministering program has failed miserably. The number of actual visits and help given is at an all-time low. How will Jehovah hosts look upon us? Will they lose their hair and their clothes? Will they become poor people that they were supposed to minister to? I mean, this is kind of, to me, coming right back in our face. I'm really taking this part to heart. As I think about uh, how COVID and not wanting to visit people because of the conditions and staying home, I think kind of uh, stalled our engine for ministering when it probably should have um, accelerated it. Sorry, I'm thinking about myself. I'm not judging anybody else. I think about what I can do to do a much better job of this. Yeah. Verse 25, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. 
Jehovah's still speaking to the people that call themselves righteous. These prideful men among them will fall by the sword, because they cannot hear God's voice. Even though they put forth all their might, they are not successful in the battle without hearing God themselves. Well, this is you... actually. Please, I'm sorry. Opened up to me in kind of a vision. I saw many people going out to battle ahead of the gathering of God's army or even going out with God's army, but they couldn't hear God's voice. And uh, without that, they were shot and killed and and they did not return home. Well, um, there's two levels to this, right? I mean, I remember reading a book by Larry Chesley, I think it was, seven years in Hanoi. He was a member of the church, and he was a prisoner of war in, in, uh, during the Vietnam War for seven years. And I think one of his chapters was labeled, I read it as a, as a teenager, one of his chapters was labeled, uh, No Atheists in Foxholes. But if you go to the description in the Book of Mormon, uh, where people wound up, the soldiers, there was no prayer. There was no anything. They had completely gotten, had become past feeling. So my question to you, Sean, is does the Book of Mormon at the time following the ministry of Jesus Christ and the 200 years of peace that followed and then things started to, the wheels started to come off, um, as well as we see it with the Jaredite civilization in the Book of Ether, are those descriptive of what happens in the latter days on the earth? And is that why they're there in the Book of Mormon? Because they're pretty brutal. I mean, the descriptions are really brutal. Oh, they are. They are so on target. I, I hate to go into some of the terrible details that I've seen, and uh, because we handle those that we capture in the same way, we have men that just have not heard God's voice and think they can go out with their own might without God's help. I've seen scenes where we go back to take back this nation and we start taking glory to ourselves saying, oh, we did this without God's help, and then we get wounded. And so, yeah, and even the situation where towards the end of the millennium there when lucifer is loosed it's all essentially we need to be tried this generation that rises up through the millennium that has never known lucifer needs to be tried obviously but they have gotten pride among themselves and they have disconnected themselves from god after 900 and some years and so we repeat the same thing that happened in the book of mormon towards the end of the 200 years of peace there which is so sad, but uh, even Isaiah that we're talking about now is just a cycle, and we can just lay this template over top of a society or another dispensation, and we can see exactly what's going to happen. It's just like this clear template we can lay over top. Well, we look need to look no further than the war in Ukraine going on right now to see the atrocities that war creates. Uh, a modern day reminder of stuff we saw during World War II. Yeah, no different. The the atrocities that are occurring. I'm not talking about the war only. I'm talking about the war crimes that are occurring 
uh, the raping and the pillaging, and it's 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 not good. We can use that as an example of what's going to come here because we think we're too good for this to happen to us, and it's just a warning to us because it'll happen worse here. Worse here. Amen to that. Everything the Book of Mormon points to is it's worse here because we are a covenant people on a choice land, and it's always worse on a choice land when the choice become wicked and and reject Christ. Always worse. In fact, I think it was Brother Nibley who pointed out that there's really no, compared to the rest of the world in the Western Hemisphere, are there any ancient cultures that survived to the present day? All no. the cultures, all of them have been thrown down. Everything, Mayan, Aztec, you name it, whatever they found on this on this continent, or I should say the Western Hemisphere, none of the cultures have you know really survived. They were all brought low, and they were wicked, super wicked, and. Uh, the more righteous were tested further than those that didn't have further light and knowledge. So we see that uh, this is uh, evidence of a promised land uh, being uh, cleansed. And we the biggest cleansing of all is coming. This yeah. ever occurred on this on this hemisphere. Okay. Verse 26, her gates shall lament and mourn. She shall be desolate and sit on the ground. The wives of those seemingly righteous, prideful men will be grieved as their husbands and sons do not return home. This leads us right into the next chapter, first verse of Isaiah 4. Seven women will take hold of one man in that day and say, We will eat your food and wear our own clothes. Let us only be called by your name and take away our reproach. So these chapters are just so connected right here with three and four and lead us right on into the next subject. Which we've covered. So go back and listen to that. But once these are in sequential order, it will make more sense. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts, Sean, as we wrap up Isaiah chapter three? I just want to reiterate again that all of this is to bring us back to our Heavenly Father to hear His voice, and He will provide a servant, much like unto John the Baptist, to prepare the way for His Son to come. And if, this, if we will read through this and keep praying, we will know when He calls out to come to safety and to gather like-minded people with Him. Very Heavenly good. Father's grateful. Very good, Sean. Well, thank you for joining me again, and thank you for your insights. Uh, I think we're really getting some good information out of these chapters, uh, thanks to your um, preparation, and thanks to the Lord uh, giving you insight into these verses. So thank you again. Thank you, Craig, and great being here. Once again, this is Vision of Zion. Thank you for listening.